Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It's been a tumultuous year for vaping in Canada as the industry responds to the upheaval unleashed by the so-called epidemic of youth vaping and the mysterious vaping-related lung illness known as Evali. At the center of much of the controversy is the sale of vaping products at over 25,000 convenience stores across the country, the near-ubiquitous access these stores provide, and the sophisticated marketing that goes with it. Joining us today is Dave Bryan, CEO of the Ontario Convenience Stores Association. Dave, thanks for coming back on RegWatch. Well, it's a pleasure, and thank you for having me back on and representing the interests of small businesses throughout the country. Well, you bet. When we last had you on, it was just right prior, you know, when the regulation consultation process had just started going last spring. Our viewers didn't get a chance to learn much about your organization at the time. What is the OCSA? What, who are the members, and what's the purpose? Sure, and thanks. Um, first off, the Ontario Convenience Store Association was started 36 years ago uh, by a collective group of convenience store operators in Ontario, where we represent the economic interests of all family-run convenience stores, whether they want to be a member or whether they're not. What I learned when I was a young fellow, my dad owned a convenience store in Windsor, for many that don't know that, and in fact, um, we had nobody to represent us. We were on our own. We were small independent. We worked hard. But, it, you know, my passion has always been since I've taken on this role and I've been doing it now for 17 years is to make sure we re represent professionally the economic interests of all these hardworking families. And keep in mind that 80 percent of convenience operators in uh, Canada, as especially here in Ontario, are new Canadians. Some of them, this is their first time job experience. And they come from all different cultures, whether they be uh, South Asian, whether they be Korean, whether they be Chinese, whether they be Vietnamese and in the East Coast or Lebanese. And, and it's important that we, we we stand up for them and help them because there are language barriers. There are fear of, uh, of uh, inspection, there's fear of government, and then there's a huge respect for being allowed to have a convenience store. So we advocate on all of their issues. We offer them education. We offer them training like responsible community retailing. We've been able to engage retailers across the country and we expect ID where we are now the best at age testing, by far improving using government's data. And I can get into that in a little while. Absolutely. We also take on, Sorry, we also take on issue management, whether it be drive off safety for people that are stealing gas or uh, to ensure the safety of our employees and customers. Uh, we, we take on bans. We work with the OLG and the regulator for lottery because we are the largest seller of lottery tickets and gaming in the country. Um, we also um, look at new categories. We've spent seven years trying to get beer and wine in the convenience stores to help the channel change forever and allow it to, to survive. And we've had that promise from Premier Ford uh, two years ago. And I expect that sometime in the next six to eight months, uh, we will fulfill that promise and start rolling out beer and wine like we see in many other jurisdictions throughout North America in all of the convenience stores. And of course, I have to take on the tobacco issues. And the reason I say that, you know, most family run stores, it's 60% of their sales on a daily basis is tobacco. It's dollar sales. Right. I don't work with the tobacco industry and I have very little, uh, you know, I have no discussions with, with them at all. But my passion is to make sure that when you're selling the biggest category, you're doing it responsibly. Uh, the threat of contraband tobacco in Ontario, as an example, is 33% of all cigarettes are illegal in Ontario. So it takes away from the in-store sales and the traffic. And finally, we, we had the new and a rising discussion of today, the vaping file, which has been a very difficult file because it's been a very confused file and we can discuss that in time. 
And lastly, we also watch what the industry does to our stores or manages our stores. Is there a fairness? And we, we can discuss that. And lastly, we do a charitable component. We work very hard every year with the children's uh, uh, foundations in Ontario, where there's four hospitals made up of sick kids, Chio and uh, London, and of course, uh, ha Hamilton, where we work with MPs and MPPs, and we collect uh, charitable donations uh, on August 22nd for these hospitals. And I think all of us should reach in and dig deeper when it comes to sick families and sick children. And of course, uh, we lead on that file as well, and it's called C-Store Days. Fantastic. So what's this, the difference then, I guess, between family-owned, which you've made a very strong distinction on, and then the rest, which I guess are the gas station C-stores and the 7-Elevens and so forth. You know, is it just simply that, or is there a whole different lobbying structure? Are they the big boys and you're the small guys? You know, how does that work? Well, at one time, we used to all be one, and I used to represent all of them. Uh, but the big gas guys uh, decided about two years ago, in conjunction with Big Tobacco, to break away and open up the Convenience Industry Council of Canada. And, and hats off to them, good luck to you. Uh, they wanted a national organization, mainly driven to re represent the tobacco interests of the tobacco companies. And as you know, my passion is I will represent the retailers and not the issues of the tobacco companies. And so we've seen the big divide where the big companies have little care for the 60% of all convenience stores in Ontario. They're able to work with big tobacco for big promotions, for incentives, for data capture, for selling of information, while the little store gets very little. So we stand up for the little guy and the big guy has gone away and done what they want to do. And uh, I just hope everybody understands that we are not the voice of the tobacco industry when I speak to you or anyone like that. I am the voice of retailers. So yes, there is a chain component, but keep in mind a lot of the chains I talk about or the chain business, many of those stores are family run as well, and they can and will join the OCSA on their own. There are corporate stores that uh, will always be under the direction of the corporation. But for, for us, uh, it is important, and I am I'm, I'm disappointed because it's important that an industry be together. It's a, important that an industry want to represent itself totally, but we've seen the separation because big wants to be big and forget the little guys, but I won't do that. Well, it's interesting, you know, and specifically the vaping file, we've seen things shake out where the interests of big vape, right? You know, the jewel, big vape and vape and so forth, seem to be somewhat different than the interests for open systems and, you know, specialty retail. So it's kind of a, the dichotomy is, is kind of transported over because even at the convenience store level, you've got a difference between big and small. Sure. Well, we see it just, as you said, with the vape group, you now have uh, what is called Vita, which is big tobacco again, putting in big money, who has left the Canadian Vaping Association alone, just like the OCSA versus uh, the CICC. And again, it's big tobacco directing where the money goes and big tobacco trying to control the agenda and also the information. And I am very disappointed because my background before 17 years ago was in the tobacco business. So I'm pretty well qualified to talk about the issues of big tobacco versus little bit business. And that was going and to be my next question to you, actually. Could you explain that background so you were transparent in terms of your experience and also to use that to validate some of the things that you're going to say? Sure, I've always wanted to be transparent. I've had a career in the tobacco business uh, and, and, of course, learned a lot from it. Uh, I did learn a lot about responsible uh, handling of files. But when I left the tobacco business 17 or 18 years ago now, I, I believe, I was asked to, would I come along and help small business? Could I rebundle and help the little guy 
um, grow and survive with my passion. And at the same time, um, I wanted to be very clear to everybody that I have a tobacco background, but I also have now a convenience background. But keep in mind, I had that before tobacco because my parents owned a convenience store. And more importantly, no one better qualified to talk about tobacco issues and small business issues than myself. And I'm very open about it. So you mentioned that uh, inside, you know, convenience stores, 60% of the sales are tobacco. I thought that number was higher. Well, the number can go anywhere from 40, 38, 40, if you're gas driven, because you do a lot of gas business and it can go as high as 70, 75, if you're a little small convenience store. But the, the whole problem with our convenience channel is we have too high reliance on the tobacco business. And I've tried for 17 years to figure out how do we wean ourselves off of the reliance on selling tobacco and more importantly, uh, the controls of the tobacco companies on the small businesses in Ontario and, and, and the dictatorial powers they have over the smallest operators, especially the new Canadians uh, throughout this country. So it is a very important category. It is a high traffic generator, but keep in mind, not the biggest traffic generator. The largest traffic generator in our channel is lottery. And we're very fortunate because in Ontario, we sell 76% of all lottery. So figure that one out to the tune of almost $3 billion for the Ontario government. We are trusted to do that. We are also trusted to like the ATM for the government to pay out to winners up to a thousand dollars. There's no other industry that's trusted it this way. But again, we're not trusted to handle vape products. That seems to be the strangest dichotomy I've ever seen in business so far. How, well, fill us in a little bit more on that. You know, how did you come to that conclusion that you were not trusted? Well, if if in fact ninety-eight percent of all legal cigarettes are sold in convenience stores responsibly and have been for 50, 60, 70 years. And let me just go over the numbers. Every year, the Ontario government spends $20 million age testing, underage testing uh, convenience stores across the province. Of that $20 million, they do over 20,000 underage mystery shops, um, seeing if we would sell tobacco to underage smokers, which by the way, we don't. Uh, we then go to the attorney general and ask them for their data of the number of charges, whether we made a mistake by leaving the flap open, uh, whether, uh, you know, something was showing when the inspector walked in the store. And when you overlay those two studies, one being the mystery shop program and one being the charges, we pass at 94.7%. We are the best at age testing. When you measure us against the LCBO in the past and the Ontario run or the beer, the three, the beer companies, uh, beer stores in Ontario, we far surpass them when it comes to asking for um, proof of age. And, and that is because the penalties are, are harsh. The harshest penalties fall on convenience stores. There's no penalties if you sell to a minor beer in a beer store. There's no penalty if you sell at the LCBO to an underage shopper. You get a slap on the wrist, maybe because you're unionized, I think, or maybe because they're allowed to be self-regulated. So it's quite quite interesting. So we take our, 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 our sales responsibilities very seriously, and uh, we double-check everywhere we can for age testing. So let's uh, jump uh, to a few kind of... Um, background stuff. Most of our viewers are going to know this, but just for the sake of it, making sure we do, on May 22nd, 2018, Canada passed into law the new Tobacco and Vaping Products Act, which is the TVPA. The act creates a national minimum age of access for vaping products of 18 years. 
It also includes significant restrictions on the promotion of vaping products. Now, this is the original law, not the new stuff that's just come in, which we'll talk about right now as we get into it. But there are definitely advertising that appeals to youth. It was like no-go. Lifestyle advertising, no-go. Sponsorships and promotions, no-go. Giveaways <clears throat> of vaping products or branded merchandise, again, no-go. And then, of course, you know, the big thing that started kicking everything off was September 17th when FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb announced the epidemic of teen vaping, which and he stated that mm -hmm. this epidemic poses a clear and present danger to youth. And then, obviously, um, that really did trigger, um, which we know a lot more now about, but we won't get into at the moment, um, is Health Canada's new consultations that they put out. This was in February of 2019, so just last year, following up again, I believe, a little bit later in April. So the first one was potential measures to reduce the impact of vaping products advertising on youth and non-users of tobacco products. And then the other one, which we've still, this first one we're talking about today because the regs have come out, they've been announced in the Gazette, and everyone's reacting to it, hence why we're here. Number two, we're still waiting for the shoe to drop on that one, and it's taking some time. These are the two major consultations that have happened to the vaping industry after vaping was already made legal as a result of the upheaval over the so-called youth vaping epidemic. So you, um, your organization put a submission in last spring, in April, I believe, of 2019, when everybody else was, with regards to the first consultation, I believe? I put in several, ah. both in Ontario, to the feds, uh, but I assume you want to know what did I say. Yeah, I exactly. I've, I'm going to put it up so, on the screen here. So I just, don't disagree with anything Health Canada is trying to achieve or public health. I mean, we have a responsibility as retailers. We've always had it. We've handled tobacco. We handle a lot of we gaming, tobacco, and in some cases, we handle alcohol. So, so it is right to be responsible and it's right to lead in responsibility. However, we also pointed out in all of our submissions that no matter where you go, let's make sure it's a level playing field. If 98% of all smokers come into the convenience sector, legal smokers, they have to have the opportunity or be allowed to make what I call an informed adult decision about going to a new, safer perceived product called vaping. Yeah, if you wanted a flavor, if you wanted a strength, no different than a light cigarette or a, a filter versus a plane, you have to be able to make the adult choice. And here's a channel that has proven over and over with every study, including government studies, that we can handle any age contentious type products, lottery, tobacco, alcohol. And for some reason, it fell on deaf ears. But I can also say that the youth epidemic that everyone is calling out has come through the internet. And today, even, even with the regulations today, there are no rules for age testing at the door or penalties associated with people who don't age test at the door. So today, once again, youth can go online. I don't care where they get it. it could be China, it could be Amazon. I don't know where, where they're getting it. And it can be delivered. Someone rings the doorbell thinking it's an adult in the house and away we go. So you're not going to fix the problem when and actually your convenience stores do the best at age testing. They protect the government. But in fact, everyone keeps forgetting where the issue started and where the issue still sits. So let me put the blunt question to you then. Are you saying that convenience stores in Ontario, specifically your membership, are not the ones selling it to teens? Not at all. There might be mistakes of age, but I'll tell you the penalties for us are different than the penalties even for a vape store. 
If, if a convenience store sells a, to a minor in a mystery shop program, where the employees find $395 and the store is fined. If the store can't prove that it trained that employee under due diligence, it's a mark against the store. Any two marks in five years, you lose your rights of prohibition to sell tobacco, first, uh, first time for six months and then forever. So our incentive is to do it right. Uh, whereas everybody else is a little bit of a fine or a slap on the wrist. The convenience sector has always had to do the best at age testing. They live in fear of people coming to the counter and they want to make sure. Even today now with face masks, we ensure that they move the mask down so that we can identify the picture. Because again, we don't want to either be entrapped or we don't want to make a mistake. And both of those have punishing ends for the convenience sector. And I, and I can say the responsibility lies with us to be the best at age testing. The tobacco industry, as an example, drops all of their products into our stores, front door, back door, no training, no help, and lots of luck. And let's hope that you handle our products right until the consumer buys it. And please do it right for us. And maybe we'd like you to talk to consumer for us, but we're not helping you with age testing. We're not helping you with training. We are leaving you on your own. How do you like that for any industry that takes, takes and takes from the convenience sector? Well, we're going to, I'm so happy you've gone here already, and we're, but we're going to step there because, you know, because our sense is, is that um, somehow big tobacco um, might be salting the earth when it comes to their process, at least with vaping. And, and how I want to get there is first tell us if tobacco, so regular combustible tobacco was to disappear from your member stores, would they be able to stay open or would their business close? We'd close. No ifs, ands, or buts. Nobody can run a tobacco store separately. No one can run a lottery store. There's not enough margin. And I, and I said it earlier, it's our high reliance on a product that is actually a sunset category and was really declining at about 1% to 2% a year on average, is now declining at that 10, 11, 12 percentile as people move to a perceived safer alternative. Right. So... And that's why I'm disappointed because you're now sending our tobacco smokers who rely who we rely on to pay the rent to another channel. And I respect the other channel, by the way. They're just small entrepreneurs like we are. They're just big business people and saw a you know a new uh, category and a new niche in re retailing. So I'm not here to you know attack the vape stores. They're just us, and it's not. It's just like craft brewers, just small businesses trying to survive. So I think we have to figure out how can we all work together to get it right. Oh, very good point. So, all right. So, in your members' stores, if tobacco, combustible tobacco, without it, you'd close, um, how realistic, now that you've seen the vaping business, so let's say, let's say these regulations that had dropped, which have, you know, axed all advertising, you know, POS, you know, point of sale advertising, um, your ability to really to communicate anything in a kind of a strong, you know, pro vaping way in store. So all that's gone. The the flavors, you know, are reduced down to mint, menthol, and tobacco. And there's a cap of 20 milligrams uh, per milliliter for nicotine. And and I'm going to ask you specifically about the nicotine in a second. But just but just overall, if before that happened, and and there was the robust business going on, was it conceivable? that vaping could replace the combustible nicotine business or smoking business in from your stores definitely the opportunity was there to take the addicted tobacco smoker and allow them to make a responsible 
choice in a convenience store to, to move to a safer and perceived alternative. And I'm sure the vaping world hasn't even evolved to the products that could actually end smoking in, in, in the world, if not the country. But it's very unfair to be so confused on a file that we don't know where to send them because there are two types of vapors, as we know. There's the one that likes the mix and the, the, the big uh, vaping smoke and the units. And then there's the the average tobacco smoker that's actually in a real hurry. And if he's going to change, you better change while he's there. And that's usually a pod. And and unfortunately, um, he, he's not allowed to make the choice. Should I try a stronger one to go with my stronger cigarettes as I change and then move down? No, you can only do one thing only. So probably going to st stick with cigarette smoking, which I was hoping and I think everybody was hoping that the opportunity would be there to allow um, people that smoke the most contentious product in the world to have some kind of choice when it came to making a decision at the cash as an adult. Has all of this, you know, activity, the media, the regulations, uh, the controversy, I mean, in your mind, for, in the stores, has it demonized vaping? I mean, are they asking for it or, they, or is they're just completely off the, off the mind? Well, I had one, you know, I had one family run retailer tell me the other day with the new uh, rules on vaping, he's lost $50,000 a year in business. Wow. So what you've done is you sent my customers away. Um, of course, some of them are coming back just to buy cigarettes when they find out what they want isn't there anymore. And that was always the fear that that might happen and it would slow down this evolution to a perceived safer product. So, so it's quite concerning that uh, um, decisions were made. And keep in mind, I have to take it on the chin a little bit because I was the one two years ago that went to the Ontario Ministry of Health and said, you know, we won't have displays of vaping products we would like to be your partner but let us communicate that there is a perceived safer alternative which the ministry at the time and thank them very much agreed that we could communicate unfortunately for me i didn't realize that the marketing departments of the big tobacco companies would make convenience stores now look like vape stores or gas stations look like vape stations and and completely uh, change the look and raise the hackles of every health advocate in Ontario and should have, by, by the way. That was not the intent. The intent was to be able to say, hey, if you're a smoker, here's a safer alternative and here's some product selections you have and here's some strengths you can have and here's some of the flavors that are approved. And But no, it became a billboard, not only in the store, out of the store, in train stations, on bus boards, on Facebook, you name it. It ended up there and dragged this controversial issue into a higher level and a bigger game. Yeah, let me and just let me just get some shots up here. Sure. Um, yeah, so this is, these are from across Canada. They're just from our file. So some are sure. Alberta, Ontario, and other places. Why don't you just kind of fill us in here because this is the actual point of sale stuff you're talking about. Yeah, and again, that was never the intent was to have uh, everybody race out and put signs on the pumps and signs on the door. And you know, uh, big Tobacco, one, uh, one of them signed exclusivity with three big uh, retailers belonging to another group uh, so that they could actually pump it even harder. And, and it's unfortunate because the intent of the association was to allow convenience stores uh, to allow, have their customers evolve to a safer, perceived safer alternative. And because of the interference and I guess the, uh, the appetite of Big Tobacco to take over the vape world, uh, it became a horse show if, or horror show, for the lack of another word, in our channel. And rightfully so, as I said earlier, it did raise the hackles of the health groups, of the ministries, and should have. And uh, so I take it a bit on the chin for going to bat 
for small business uh, because I wasn't representing Vipe, as you see in that photo, uh, any of them. And, and look at what they did to our stores. And the poor family-run retailer had no choice but to do this or be cut off from deliveries and products. And I think it is so unfair what happened to them when, in fact, no one wanted to sit down and say how best should we manage the vape file going forward in this country and how can we work together with governments to get it right. No, we went off on separate agendas, separate thoughts, separate promotions, separate marketing plans, and separate under-the-table payments and actually may have destroyed a potentially safer alternative for tobacco smokers. So you and your association and your membership were 100% behind vaping as a tool for harm reduction and to push it in your stores. Definitely. We were there and we were doing it quietly and respectfully right. We're the ones who the government will listen to because keep in mind, I don't know if I said it earlier, the Ontario Convenience Store Association takes no money from the tobacco companies. We do not talk to them. We don't represent them, even though you know my background. And so we are a little bit more creditable when we want to work with government and health agencies because we're not going to be told what, what to say. We're here to figure out how to change the business and change it right. And I thought we were on the right track, but you, you showed the pictures, you showed the mess that happened to us. And that was in a very short period of time. I mean, I nearly, I walked into stores and was shocked. I'm the one who negotiated that we should have the rights to communicate. Now we're down to the rights of three little price signs that they're probably all fighting over and uh, three flavors and the minimal um, nicotine le level, which isn't going to accomplish anything. So you believe that that uh, level of point of sale advertising that we just showed our audience, that that was deleterious to vaping in the C stores? If anybody walked into Union Station in Toronto, which is the biggest train station in Canada, it was Vipe Central. Every poster, every booth, every wall. And at the same time, convenience stores were not allowed to sell or promote Vipe products. There, so there was just something wrong. Sure. Now, now that's messaging. outside advertising. So I want to just make sure I separate that for a second when I'm asking this question, because inside convenience stores, the POS advertising, isn't that the advertising that is designed to do the communicating? to the smoker to let them know that the products are available? I mean, if it's just a black and white sign, I'm like, I guess I'm pushing you, Dave, because it wasn't your original instinct right that this uh, you know, POS is needed to communicate about the product, but it's just the execution was you know, gaudy, ostentatious, uh, down you know, in your face, maybe too much. Is it a too much point of view or, or is that you're happy the point of sale inside your stores is now gone? Well, I'm un, I'm not happy because you can't communicate. Right. So uh, but it's at the same time, have, yeah. But at the same time, I have to respect the ship may have left the dock because of some of the past happenings. And at the same time, uh, there has to be cooler heads prevail because what happened is you had vape stores wanting to do their things. You had Vita wanting to do big things for big big tobacco. You had CICC that gas group wanting to do take more money than they ever could from the vape. Hey, I can't blame them. And finally, you had us trying to run our business and sell to every consumer. And keep, keep in mind, when 62% of all stores in Ontario, those family-run stores located in Timbuktu, rural Ontario, they're there. And they know their customers. And they know what they smoke. Or they know if they're changing. And they know what they want. And they influence them. And um, now that we've lost that opportunity to have any, any sign in our store saying, why don't you try this safer alternative? And it may be because... 
big companies. And Big Tobacco hadn't got involved in this, and we just left it to the little vape people when, when they started. We might still be doing it right, but it became billboards and 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 who could outdo who in the store. And so it goes back to the 80s when we had clocks and signage and lifestyle for cigarettes, right? It, it became the same return. And, so, and, and yeah, you bring up a great point, Dave, because, you know, we've been through this route before and so have the tobacco companies and they know darn full well what the reaction would be to that level of advertising I mean, and like you were saying, Union Station, I mean, so in your face. I mean, honestly, I'm asking a serious question here. Could it potentially be that big tobacco salted the earth with regard to the vaping business in Canada and decided to just try to sour the entire thing because then it just, you know, goes back to their regular business? And that's because big tobacco was behind the eight ball. They weren't the leader in that, in that category. So why not do as much as you can, as quick as you can, to take what you can from it, and that'll be all you have left in the future. And then from there you go and you try and influence the clerk to make the sale for you rather than put a sign up. So there's different things going on under the table all the time where you pay big chains to do certain things for you, and or it's called switch selling and all of that, which has to be controlled and we'll have to figure that out in time too. So, so I mean, we just- So Big Tobacco brought <clears throat> some of its techniques and uh, tactics uh, for, over to the vaping side. Is that correct? All out. Even in sponsorship, we see it now going on on Formula One cars again. So, so, so we're starting to see that. So describe for us a little bit of some of these things, backroom deals, payment, stuff like that, that happens. How did that affect vaping? We we, we definitely have, I, what I don't want to do is show stuff out of the out mm. of the blue, yet I want you to kind of lead through because you've sent RegWatch some materials with regards to Imperial Tobacco, JTI, uh, and I think one other. So why don't you direct me what you would like to talk about here, because it's up to you to, to discuss these issues. Well, as, as you know, um, again, I went back to the table to negotiate what we call time now to allow us to adjust to the new regulations for vaping. And of course, July 1st was the kick-in date. Uh, because of COVID, we we asked for a further extension, but didn't get it. That you could know you could only sell mint tobacco and menthol in 20 milligrams, and all other products um, were illegal to be sold in the convenience sector. Those were left now to the vape channel. However, they did agree that the government that if you were stuck and had some wayward flavors or you had some high nicotine products that you had yet to sell and you couldn't get them returned, they would forgive us a little bit and let us try and sell them through rather than hurt the convenience sector. What really happened then is the industry itself, uh, both Imperial and JTI, uh, both interpreted that, that you could buy as much vaping products as you wanted prior to July 1st, and you were allowed, including, by the way, it was in conjunction with this Convenience Industry Council of Canada, and we tried to warn everybody, load it up, We'll ship it to you and you have until December 31st to sell it, which was wrong. The spirit of the smoke-free act, the spirit of the vaping act was, you know what? If you're stuck, please forgive small business. But there's no tobacco inspector, the smoke-free Ontario, and I appreciate that. He's going to walk into a store and see 10 cases of vaping products that somebody sold it. And you said, well, I have until Christmas to sell it. That wasn't the intent. The intent was to help small business again. The intent was to get them over some of the issues where big tobacco may not take back their products right away and encourage you. And then they turned it around and said, you're allowed to sell it. 
And that was so wrong and so unprofessional, both of the associations that got involved, the wholesalers that got involved, and the manufacturers. And you see the letters that they did issue to the stores telling them, hey, partner, you have until Christmas to sell this, which in the spirit is wrong. Today, we've instructed, once again, all convenience stores, pack up the boxes of the products that are not authorized, do not be offside with your local tobacco inspector because you have a working relationship, and ship it back and demand uh, a refund immediately. And this all took place from, I'd say, June 20th until July, June 30th, trying to encourage people to load their stores, which was wrong under the act and under the spirit of the act. And if anybody knows the spirit of the act, Big Tobacco understands the spirit of all of these acts. And it will not be tolerated by smoke-free Ontario, and it never has been. And hats off to the government for act, at least clarifying it every time to help small business. Because keep in mind, Big tobacco and associations don't get charged with buying vape products and keeping them in the stores. No, uh, only the little family-run convenience store get gets charged. But these type of letters that you're showing is so unfair to the um, uh, to all of our MET members. And I have to continually clarify these things. And it goes back to nobody's at the table working on what is a solution and how best should we manage this category. This has been the biggest disaster management plan I've ever seen for an emerging category that perceivably could have been safer for tobacco smokers. I mean, this is pretty incredible here, just this line, you know, th this line here, this is Imperial Tobacco. Um, and this will be the last opportunity to order flavor pods that will be banned in December 31st. Uh, and obviously, we're talking, this ban is actually happening now. So your members already are getting, banned. it's already banned. So yeah. there, the, and there the, is no the, extension to sell off the product. So Big Tobacco is dropping this stuff off. Now, you said something in our pre-interview that was surprising to me. So they've got the ability, I guess, obviously legally, right? The way the payment system works, that they can just, you know, basically self-order product and Ship drop it, it off. Take it out of your account. The explain explain that. Family-run retailers continually get pressured by big tobacco. If you don't buy this, first off, there are different deals. So big chains make millions and millions and millions of dollars under the table for selling data, uh, for having a relationship with tobacco, uh, for doing what they're told, and also funding their association. Whereas the little guy gets nothing. He gets peanuts, but he does get a discount. And we'll say, I think one of the deals is you get $4 off a carton if you make our quota for the month of July. So at the end of July, you haven't made the quota. So you lose money because you use the $4 to try and make the quota or some of the $4. And it's so unfair what's going on. We've asked the government, could you take a look at the fairness versus unfairness of the tobacco business. In Quebec, they've banned all of this. In Ontario, it's getting worse and worse. Small business is hurting more and more. And big business is, you know, if I owned a big chain, I'd be squeezing the tobacco guys. I'd be going to Formula One with them. I'd be their partner. This is like We 101, we call it, but only in the tobacco business. So, <laughs> so, so it's actually time we for this government and everybody else to take a look at what is going on? Why are the family, hardworking families so reliant on such a big product being so badly managed by three big companies because they have the dominance and the power to do that to them? Somebody has to do something about it or have a discussion about it. So, I mean, you're, you're spitting mad. I'm disappointed because at one time, you know, tobacco companies were the backbone of the small business. Today, you know, and I can tell you, we just did a tobacco survey, which you're probably going to touch on. But small business makes five 
to 10%, probably closer to that six or seven on selling a pack of cigarettes. That's no more than a lottery ticket. And lottery supplies the machine, the ticket, everything. But the tobacco industry charges you 100 bucks a carton and takes it out of your account and you take the risk. So it is so unfair. And regional chains, so the mid guys that have a little bit of power, they make 10, 12, 13%. And the big companies, and you can name them who you want, but think of big gas, is that 15 to 20% because they have this business relationship that they're putting millions. And if somebody studied that, they'd see the millions going into big companies while the little guy down the street who's working his little tail off is under threats all the time. There's no love for the industry anymore. And, it, it, you know, if I was in the tobacco business and my biggest customer is the convenience sector, I would cherish them. Instead, they've separated them big versus small and hoping that maybe the small will go away and we'll have few shipping points and we can work better with the big guys and influence them more as we've proven. Aren't you worried about the reaction from Big Tobacco to some of the statements you're making here and I'm sure elsewhere? I mean, you've got a strong opinion when it comes to uh, the supplier. Well, I don't think it's uh, the reaction because they'd have to come to the table. I haven't said anything of, of, of any documents or that. All I'm telling you is that it is unfair what they're doing to small bit business. And I think they, they know that, but they're enjoying it. And they're going to have to come to the table and figure out um, you know, let, let, let's be honest, they, they fund certain organizations to speak for them. And, and, you know, they don't tell you that, but I could t- tell you that, but I'm not, not going to do it on the air. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, they don't like the Ontario Community Store Association because the Ontario Community Store Association represents the interests of the family run retailer, not the interests of the tobacco business. When I do fix a problem, they take advantage of it, as you see, because they can't get meetings with the government. They're not they've lost the trust over the years. We haven't. We've built that trust because we work with Smoke Free Ontario. We work with ministries of health. We work with small business ministries. We've always worked with them. So let's talk about the survey you just mentioned. I've got that up. What are What's the key takeaways that our audience should have on that? So the purpose of the survey, and here it is here, was just to members asking them with the closure of reserves, voluntary closure of Indian reserves or Aboriginal reserves, voluntarily closed during COVID-19 and all of a sudden retailers all over Ontario, especially within proximity to the reserves, didn't realize how much contraband had creeped into their everyday business and how much it hurt them. Stores were calling us saying, I'm up 30%, I'm up 20%. They were actually running out of legal tobacco because people who couldn't buy untaxed $35 cartons were actually had to come to the convenience sector and buy uh, taxed in products. The government won't realize how important that is until around October because they've delayed the tax submissions. But when they see it, they're going to say, wow, something went wrong in May and June and part of July where we're getting nothing but money in for tobacco taxes because people had to buy legal products. With the reserves opening now, we're starting to see, um, obviously, uh, uh, the, the creeper going the other way where our customers don't come in as often. They don't buy chips. They don't buy pop. They don't buy impulse items because they don't buy their addicted tobacco products. And again, we've been, I've been working this contraband tobacco file, I'll bet you for 15 years. Uh, everyone keeps closing their eyes to we can't do anything because it's on Aboriginal grounds and the stuff's being shipped all over the province and people are driving in and out. But it truly hurts the legal market. And this study proved that. You know, 48% of all locations showed an increase of, of weekly sales. 
I mean, they all realized the importance of how, how, how contraband had actually hurt their business and their in-store sales until the reserves voluntarily closed. So just a good study to share with government and say, if you're going to do something to help small business, there's two things you can do. One is you can fix, somehow minimize, I don't think you'll ever fix contraband tobacco, but somehow minimize what it's doing to the family run stores. And two, uh, let us open a new category. I mean, you promised us beer and wine in convenience stores for the last two years. Let's get moving. Let's help craft brewers across the country, across the province. Let's get it going and help small business that can help small business. So there are, obviously, Dave, quite a few, a great survey, and it's timely. That's, you know, it's awesome. Uh, we'll, if you're okay with it, we'll curate this to RugWatch. Just uh, let me know after. Sure. And... Um, so there's there are a lot of people with inside you know the traditional vaping business you know industry the the advocates the vapors the community all of the you know especially retail stores and everything else, I mean they're pretty darn convinced C stores were the problem that obviously and 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 the big guys I always say their names you know Jewel and Vipe I mean that's that's really who you know the, the big players, so how I mean how do we get over this because there's going to be you know thousands of our viewers I know are just got it for C stores and how can you assure them that you weren't part of the problem? Hard to do, but I can tell you, I mean, statistics don't lie. When you have 20,000 ministry shops and you're spending $20 million sending in underage shoppers and you're passing at 96%, I think it's hats off to that small channel that's selling some of the most contentious products. Yeah. And I, I don't knock the vape associations for trying to use the convenience stores because they wanted 19 plus. I mean, they're small business operators and, and maybe they were right. They weren't right that we do it wrong because we knew that vaping was an epidemic long before Jewel and Vipe arrived in Ontario. This was coming to every high school through the internet, through word of mouth, through Facebook. And it's still being delivered behind our backs, even by some underground vape shops to people's houses with flavors that are not authorized. And that's for governments to figure out. but. You know, mine is let's stop picking on one channel versus another. I mean, we're, we, we've, we've proven ourselves. If you are actually trusted to sell 76% of gaming in the province, lottery, there's nothing wrong with us. But because we're new Canadian, because we're diverse, because we have language barriers, and because we're located in little towns and villages and we're small stores, and because we sell a mix of products, not just one high-end product that makes lots of money, because we know that vaping and on its own makes an awful lot of margin on a per unit basis. Hmm. Um, so it was in their, their best interest to throw us under the bus and hats off to them. I mean, it worked, but there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I tried hard and maybe it's because of what was going on with the big guys. I don't know, you know, the big convenience chains uh, that this happened to us because we were trying hard to be very professional and very honest. And we will continue to because we have been in everybody's neighborhood for the last hundred years. We have served everybody almost by first name basis. And we know everybody and we wouldn't sell to a minor because we'd be out of business in the community and we'd be boarded up. So now I know that obviously you don't represent nationally in the bigger chains, but you know, is there a difference between your, the smaller family run independent businesses with regard to the potential selling vaping to youth or do those statistics apply to the entire Canadian industry? Can you say, can you say to our audience, big or small, in Canada, if you're a convenience store operator, chain or independent, 
you, you know, you're not, you're, you, you, you're not the problem. Is that what you're saying? Or is you just sure. saying it no. only for Ontario and your members? So in past studies that we've done, and because we don't have a lot of funding, but we have done past studies, there was no difference between a corporate chain doing a really, you know, nice signs, best of everything, because we had lots of gas money, um, or a family run independent, because the penalties were the same. And in a small community, word travels fast in rural Ontario. Sure. If somebody is selling to a minor, they would cut them off. Uh, where convenience stores are suffering the most is, you know, punishing hydro rates. I mean, COVID hasn't been fair to them. Uh, but at the same time, we're, we're resi- resilient. We're, we, we work hard to stay in the business. Vaping would have been a great opportunity for the evolution of the tobacco business or the tobacco smoker. I think that's gone. There will be a group of vapors and we see them going to vape stores. But I think the opportunity has been lost to actually take the millions of smokers and move them in to a safer alternative. You know, we've got a heat and burn product out there that's having trouble in Canada getting off the ground for some reason. We have vaping that has taken off and been the controversy. Uh, And I would assume that more adults vape than youth and more adults are going to vape stores. And I'm sure there are some weak vape stores as there may be some weak convenience stores in a community. But I don't think it's fair to uh, to use the small business. Um, uh, I don't know. Well, you layout. said, yeah, I, I did. And I totally got it. So, man, it's troubling to hear you say that you think that the opportunity to make that switch of the millions of smokers still left mm-hmm. in Canada to make that switch, that opportunity is over. It was just starting. We saw it. Our tobacco business was down 13% over a year period, right? And our vaping was up 14, 13, 12%. So we saw the switch. So, so we knew it was working, and, and, but nobody wanted it to work their way, right? Or our way. They wanted it to work. Everyone had their own agendas, as we've seen and heard. And that's why this is the most confusing file I've ever operated under, was everybody saying something different and nobody going forward together. It was very easy to kind of come together and say, you know what, how do we get this right? But remember, if I was a vape store operator, I mean, obviously I have an agenda because I just opened the, the, this business. Why would I want to tie into the convenience sector and let them be a competitor. When in fact, it was a convenience sector that has the customer that would make you the competitor. So it's actually going to be an interesting future. Um, unfortunately, we may see, uh, you know, smoking grow again. Uh, with, a, with, a, you know, with the reserves open, people are flocking back. They're lined up again to buy smokes. You only have to drive by anyone that's by a reserve. They have self-serve displays like vape stores they have signage they have flashing lights they even have hostesses sampling and nobody cares right nobody cares but in the convenience store lock it up which we do out of sight out of mind and spend 20 million a year making sure it's out of sight out of mind and they're age testing and forget what's going on around us well i mean that's that's shocking because at RegWatch, we've always believed that convenience stores you know the ubiquity of convenience stores offered a huge opportunity uh, for harm reduction because, as you said, what, 90, 95%, 99% of all smokers are getting their cigarettes uh, through the legal cigarettes through convenience stores. And so that's the moment you want to destigmatize vaping and put, you know, plenty of options in front of them. Now, I've said, you know, because this is now three years of the, of the discussion around C stores with our audience, 
And I mean, for those members of my audience who aren't familiar with my argument here, but there is a cost to, that's a, to acquire a new customer. And with vaping, you have the cost to switch somebody from smoking to vaping. And, you know, if vaping was destigmatized, lots of opportunities, and at C-Store was able to bear the cost of converting a smoker to vaping, then that cost doesn't get, you know, born on the small, you know, uh, vaping industry. And then all you have to do is now go get them and get them to come in your store for greater, greater options. And so that's been lost. I mean, a, a bunch of opportunities have been lost here. Sure, it was, it was an easy option to allow a smoker to make an informed decision at the point of purchase. They're not going to sit there and say, oh, geez, you don't have my vaping strength and flavor of choice. I'm going to jump in my car and drive four kilometers to buy it. No, they're, they're going to go for their nicotine fix. And it's unfortunate that um, no one re realized that. I don't know where the influences came from, how they came. And I, I can tell you, um, most vape companies, I think, have done a very disciplined job at, at managing the category and, uh, and working uh, with our stores. And at the same time, I'm disappointed that I have to sit here today and say that you know, the future of the convenience sector uh, is still tobacco, which I was hoping it wasn't. It was going to be vaping and it was going to be a new possible uh, category called beer and wine and allow us to move on and, and redeploy ourselves and put some capital into our business and, and, and really help these families that, you know, work 12 hours a day minimum, uh, husband and wife taking turns at shifts while everybody is demonizing them and picking on them and you know if you look at i always say if every if every inspector that came into a convenience store on a monthly or week, weekly basis bought a can of pop and a bag of chips every convenience store would make another hundred dollars a month in earnings because that's you've got alcohol and gaming you've got lottery you've got health you've got smoke-free ontario you name it uh, these people are coming in uh, that seems to be the target and every time we're open 12 hours, 14, 24 hours a day. Uh, we're not boarded up as some people like to demonize us. And we're doing a good, good job and hats off to all those hard working families because it's hard to train them all and hard to keep them focused with no help from anybody as I've said in the past. So, so the advertising and we're, we're in our last couple of questions here, Dave. Um, so the advertising removes the ability to communicate uh, about the products and, and engage the consumer uh, about the products. Um, what so where do you stand officially then on the 20 milligram uh per milliliter cap and the flavor uh restrictions for season so my official position with Ontario, with the ministry of health and federally was allow convenience stores to sell the three authorized flavors that's all mint menthol and tobacco in three adult choice strengths let the adults make that choice, no different than a light cigarette versus a full flavor. And if they want to move down to the second one, and you can continue to age test us as much as you want, you can continue to find us if you think we're wrong. But let the smoker make the choice because we're going to sell them cigarettes and we're trusted to do it. For some reason, we're not trusted to sell them mint, menthol or mint vaping products in a higher strength of nicotine, which doesn't make sense at all. It just doesn't. I mean, it never has. I mean, it's no retailer has faced that. Now you have to go to two different stores to get a product. That was, and you don't see that with alcohol. You don't see it with marijuana. You don't see it anywhere. You know, they even allow vaping supplies now in marijuana shops or cannabis shops, but not in convenience stores. Hmm. 
So let me ask you this. Um, a lot of research um, has come out, uh, both in the U.S. and I think some in Canada, it's not, not as strong as in the U.S., but definitely a large percentage of teens that are getting their vaping supplies are getting it through social sources, which means that it is from people who are, are of age, maybe their peer group, they might be a year or two older, or even parents who have taken a look at this and said, look, we know that this is better for you than smoking. We'd rather have you you know, uh, vaping than smoking. And so they've been acquiring it or uncles or, you know, brothers and sisters, we know social sources. So I know that you've been saying the internet, but we have to bring social sources in because they may actually be the ones buying it at convenience store. So is there any way that you guys could figure out knowing, you know, who's buying, if they're buying it for, you know, if they're a social source. We've always had a policy and all stores follow her. If, if you believe somebody's buying a tobacco product for you, don't sell them, okay? And th there is no other way. That's for government to think about education, uh, outreach. I mean, the convenience store is the best place to ed educate and we don't do it. I mean, I always talk about childhood obesity. They wait until the child gets to the doctor's office to hand them a brochure when they could have actually had the back wall of a convenience store talking about healthy options and healthy lifestyle. But because of the influences from different groups, you have to wait until the obese child sits in the doctor's office to get a pamphlet telling him uh, what he should, should be doing. And, and I think we all have to come together and say, you know, convenience stores in Ontario uh, see, for those that don't know, 3 million people a day for various reasons throughout all through Ontario. And there's a great opportunity, I've said with the government and with health, to message, whether it be flu shots, whether it be COVID, whether it be the back walls sit there. They used to have tobacco advertising. There's ways of communicating with 3 million people and you reach them in every community. A billboard on the garden does not reach a whole lot of people, especially at 120 kilometers an hour. We reach them if you want us. If you want to be our partner, we're there to be your partner. We're there to help you communicate to citizens throughout the province that come in every day. Many kids, even with their allowance, not bad if you could sit, sit there and start educating them as well. Problem is, is that uh, with the TVPA, you're not allowed to communicate anything that talks about benefits or even alludes to that. And so hopefully there will be some uh, risk adverse statements or, or risk benefit statements, risk versus benefit statements that come out. Let me ask you this with regard to Health Canada. Um, are you disappointed in their response? Because, you know, they did go through many years and millions of dollars to study vaping and, it, and they put their stamp of approval on it and made it legal. And the regulatory framework was there that, are, you know, dealt with advertising, dealt with flavors, dealt with all of that. And it's supposed to create a stable marketplace. And yet, you know, this, the epidemic just unhinged everything before it even had a chance to, you know, lock in and stabilize. I mean, isn't regulation supposed to last more than three months? Well, first, I'm not, I'm not disappointed with uh, the bureaucrats at Health Canada or with <laughs> the bureaucrats in any provincial legislation. This becomes highly political. You only have to look at British Columbia. In a shorter period of time this week, they changed again because it's politics. It is not uh, sound uh, evidence. And sound evidence says that, yes, there was a way to do this. And no, nobody wanted to at a political level. We know that. But Health Canada, I think, did a wonderful job at their whole uh, consultation, as did Ontario. However, politics plays ahead of uh, 
you know, all you need is Trump to say something and the whole world goes the other way. So, sure. no, uh, hats off to those that worked hard to try to do it and even those that got involved like us. But uh, that ship is now left and uh, unless we come together, that ship will keep sailing and probably make decisions with all our, without all of us. And that will be our, our wrap up on that. So right before we get that to that last question, I'd like to ask you, you've seen now all of this unfold. What's your assessment of the media's role in creating this environment that's led to a terrible situation for your members and for, I would say, smokers across Canada? I actually think the media has had no real interest in it, except youth, because that seems to be where it's fueled from. But I could write a story tomorrow and the media wouldn't pick it up. I write a story on contraband tobacco. I could do a tobacco my survey you just showed, put it well, up. Well, I think that's what I mean, though, right? Like the it only... Wouldn't take, it wouldn't make one paper. Right. Because there's too many other big issues right now. COVID, Trump, Trudeau, we... I mean... Tobacco is, has, has been forgotten because it's, it's the sin of society. And, uh, and retailers, the reason we're so painted and tarred and feathered, because we sell it. We're the only channel left. Years ago, it was vending and drugstores, and they were able to corner it right into the convenience sector. So here's a great opportunity to continually target, 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 put money into it, test, test them, uh, demonize them, do everything you can because they're partners in the tobacco business. So let's not let, give, give them any leeway at all. So I don't blame the media. They have no interest in it. Uh, and I don't, you know, other people have tried the Australian model, the UK model. It doesn't really matter. The ship has left the dock and now we have to figure out what does the future look like? Well, and that's, let's deal with that as our last question uh, for you. I mean, is there hope? How, what is a path that you would see? Because your message is a bit bleak. Well, in, in this, whenever groups don't come together, and this is living proof, you've had different associations, different uh, um, retailers, different everything going in different directions with different messaging. It isn't bleak. The smoker will still decide if he wants to buy a full flavor cigarette and pay 110 bucks or $35 at a reserve. The vaping consumer will decide if he wants a, you know, a low nicotine pod in a convenience store, if he wants to drive to a vape store, or if he wants to go to a reserve who eventually the black market will fulfill the needs as it has in the tobacco business as well. And it won't take long for them to ramp up. As we've seen in other jurisdictions, I think just yesterday I read in New York that the vape shops are flying on reserves and because people can go there and get their flavors, there's, there's choices and nobody has the political will to walk in and stop that. So it isn't bleak. It's just it happened fast. It got managed wrong. And here we sit less than three years later, still having discussions about will it work? I don't have that answer, but I can tell you. We'll be there. We'll be at the table. We'll represent our members and we'll represent those companies that want to be to make sure that the voice is heard about small business and how we operate. Well, David, thank you. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show and for such a detailed discussion. Just stay right there. Well, that is it for this edition of RegWatch. Before you head off, please go over to support.regulatorwatch.com. That's support.regulatorwatch.com and consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. It's easy. Just dig into your wallet and find a few dollars and toss them our way. You'll be happy you did and so will we. And while online, don't forget to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. For RegulatorWatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.